This episode of the SaaS Revolution Show is sponsored by Oyster. Oyster is the global HR platform that makes it easy to employ people remotely in other countries. It's purpose-built for globally distributed organizations that want to tap the global talent pool and give all their employees around the world a great employment experience. Oyster lets you hire, pay, and give great local benefits in over 75 countries. To find out more, visit oysterhr.com. The mistake you're making right now, if you're making a mistake on hiring the wrong salesperson or having a wrong go-to-market strategy, the penalty for failure can be as much as a one to two year delay in your development. And that at this critical time can mean that you go from a potential top three spots in your market to a top 10 spot or worse. And as we all know, once you fall out of the top three, you really are constantly struggling to catch up to that wave. I have something cool to announce to you, the listeners. On December the 15th, we have a brand new SaaS Doc event, Blueprint Series for CEOs. It's all about giving SaaS CEOs the blueprint to go from good startup to great scale-up. It's a one-day live event, a CEO peer group all year round, and gives you access to investor matchmaking days. Over the last five years, we have refined the blueprint based on insights from the world's greatest SaaS founders and specialists to help you move up from startup to scale up successfully. We're bringing this together for you on December the 15th online. With the events and program, you will learn how to avoid mistakes that can kill your business, how to hire and manage the best exec teams, how to build a partner ecosystem that works, how to do deals without the founder, how to extend runway and secure investment amongst other things. We've some amazing speakers that have done it, seen it, and will share the, their blueprint to success. These include Brian Halligan, CEO of HubSpot, Goddard Abel, CEO of G2, David Cancel, CEO of Drift, and Shelley Perry, general partner of Scale Logics, and more. If you're interested to join and want to learn more about taking your startup from good to great, go to sasdoc.com forward slash blueprint, use code SASREVOLUTION20 for a 20% discount on your tickets if you're going to join us. Obviously very excited to have you both uh, speak at the first Blueprint Series CEO uh, conference. Jacko, why don't you just tell those that are watching and listening just a little bit about the business origin story of uh, Winning by Design. Well, thank you, Alex. I, I think that the re- business origin story very ma- much matches what a lot of people experience. The way how I started it was not to design a company or to start a company of ex-employees. What I really wanted to focus on is helping customers solve a problem that I figured you know, anybody must be having. And then you know, over the years, obviously the company has grown and grown, but that's not why I started it. That thought that I feel that many of us share is we start a company because we see there's an opportunity with a problem that we can solve in a market that needs that solved. And Goddard, what about yourself? So G2, is it, it's your fourth uh, SaaS business? Uh, yes. And uh, like Jocko, I was really excited to really solve my own problem. And I've always been a SaaS entrepreneur, like many of you. And, you know, building my first two companies, I just realized it took way too long to get validation by traditional analysts like Gartner. And I wanted to build a platform like G2 that would make it really easy to validate emerging SaaS products. 
with trusted, authentic customer reviews and to disrupt the traditional analysts and help entrepreneurs, SaaS entrepreneurs succeed more quickly. So can you tell us a little bit about your pathway to learn how to scale a SaaS company? Yes. And my first company was Big Machines. It was a sales quoting, or today you'd call it a CPQ, configure price quote software company. But I started it way back in 2000. And that was my first company. And it was a long 13 year struggle to get to an ultimate exit where the company was bought by Oracle. And I think I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. You know, I made a lot of mistakes, including you know, hiring the wrong sales leader at the wrong time, not really knowing how to sell the product, over-investing before product market fit. And so, you know, those are a lot of hard lessons learned that I think we did try to turn into a blueprint. So when we built our second company, Steelbrick, we were able to achieve just as much success and be acquired by Salesforce within just 24 months. And Jacko, I mean, I saw you obviously lighting up when uh, God uh, mentioned one of the uh, very common mistakes about hiring the wrong sales leader. What, what have you learned in the, the, you know, the pathway of how to scale a SaaS business? And, and what were your thoughts on, uh, you know, hiring the wrong salesperson at the wrong time? Yeah, I, the, to tackle the first problem or challenge first, I, I think that the understanding what got you where you are at can very well be the reason why you get stuck there. And so, for example, um, as founders, you often need to have a certain level of stubbornness and ignore what people are saying. Because if you would listen to people, they would say, oh, it will never work, will never happen. You don't got this, you don't got that. And you need to be stubborn. And at that point in time, you become more successful because of your stubbornness. By the time you're watching this video, you have achieved much of this by ignoring what your teachers, coaches, parents, family members have told you. So. Then you come into this stage where you need to scale sales. And this is, for example, as Goddard pointed out, when you're hiring a salesperson, this is suddenly where actually you can benefit from external advice and you need to learn what others have done. And the primary reason why is that the mistake you're making right now, if you're making a mistake on hiring the wrong salesperson or having a wrong go-to-market strategy, the penalty for failure can be as much as a one to two year delay in your development. And that at this critical time can mean that you go from a potential top three spots in your market to a top 10 spot or worse. And as we all know, once you fall out of the top three, you really are constantly struggling to catch up to that wave. What are the mistakes that maybe once you've made, you know, the first time in the first company that you've learned that actually in the second time, you won't be making that uh, again? Do you have a kind of recollection of, Second time round, obviously getting to exit in 24 months, just making like much fewer mistakes. Yeah, and I think it was a lot fewer hiring mistakes, especially. And I think in the first company, Big Machines, I really hired an experienced CPS sales too soon. And, you know, way back in 2002, in hindsight, I realized I didn't really yet have proper product market fit. You know, and I hired a sales leader who'd come from a very established company, JD Edwards, which is not part of Oracle. And he was a very proven, mature sales leader. But we were still at the more evangelical stage where I really, as a neat founder, still needed to be involved in most of the sales. And so, frankly, I realized that after about a year and took a step back where I took over sales myself again and just had two very hands-on salespeople and was still involved in every deal. And it was really only three or four years later where we were ready to have a mature sales leader. And so I think the second company, well, one, I think the market was also more mature, so we had immediate product market fit. And I was also very lucky, my CRO, Matt Gorniak, I'd hired him at my first company, Big Machines, really as a frontline sales rep. And I told him he was one of my two 
reps at the time. I told them, hey, if you do a great job and one day I'll need a sales leader, maybe I can promote you. And that obviously worked out very well at the first company. But then I was also lucky. He was my partner in the second company. And you know, there we immediately had product market fit. And so Matt was able to bring a lot of the team, a lot of the sales process we developed over many years in the first company. And that really is what fueled the success of the second company. Uh, amazing. And, and Jacko, of the, uh, I guess, maybe hundreds of SaaS companies that, that you've worked with, do you see this sort of like common uh, sort of area where they are kind of, you know, making the same mistakes, whether, you know, in sales? Hire yeah. the people that you need. Hire the people that you want are executives from large firms with big names that make you feel like your company is really, is something. It makes you feel like you're being put on the map. What you need are people that are, you are needing right now. And I'll give you two specific things. Those people that you need are the ones that take notes during the interview, as simple as that. People who don't take notes, don't, don't take an interest in your business. Now, they can take digital notes. When we're interviewing via camera, you can see them turn their head down and taking notes. Hire people who take notes, number one. Second, as part of the interview process, as, as Godard pointed out, this is so key to get good people. Now, Godard knew the person that he worked with before. So that one was a great help to him. If you don't know that and you don't have that personal experience, make sure that as part of the interview process, you make people express what the activity that they should be doing. If you're hiring a VP of sales, give him, him or her a few numbers and ask them to do a forecast, a 12 month rolling forecast. We're not looking for accuracy on numbers. What we're looking for is to recognize if the person has a, has a thought process that matches up with our own. And I think, Jack, those are great points. I think that's exactly the mistake I made. You know, I kind of hired what I wanted. I wanted to be a big company. I wanted a big time sales leader. But what I really needed was very scrappy, hands-on sales leaders or salespeople, not even leaders that could just make evangelical sales. And so I, I definitely learned that the hard time. And I do agree with you in interviewing. And one of the things we also have all sales reps still do today is we actually send them a sample of our sales pitch and then we have them pitch us. And I think it, you know, in hindsight, it kind of seems obvious, but we didn't do that for many years, but then you get to see, and it's not about them nailing the pitch perfectly. Like you said, it's not about the numbers, but can they handle the room? Did they take the time to prepare? Do they care about your company? All those things you said. And, uh, and so those are, I think, great, great lessons you're sharing. What to you, uh, Godard, would be, you know, some of the biggest external challenges that you sort of think about, uh, certainly when, I guess maybe you're at the stage of one to 10 million. And I think there are many challenges, obviously, especially a year like 2020. You know, I think just leading through this has been hard probably for everybody. But I think no matter what the environment is, I think the one to 10 million, it is that stage where I do think, you know, you have those early days where you're doing very evangelical selling and probably you as a founder need to be on every deal. That's very natural, probably to get you from, let's say, zero to one or two. But then to get to 10, you do need that first sales leader and getting that right person that you need for that stage. And I think at that stage, there's still a very hands-on sales leader that can get in every deal because you probably only need five or six reps, but that knows every deal, knows every rep, is just as passionate as you are about the evangelical sale, how you're going to change the world. And I think, you know, you really have to find that in order to be able to get to one to 10 and, and hit those milestones to also raise the, raise the capital you need to really build a, a market leader. Uh, what do you think, Jacko, I guess, uh not breaking confidence, you know, companies that you work with and the CEOs that you work with, you know, the external challenges that they face, uh, as Goddard said, this year, 2020. Well, first and foremost, I think that, you know, like, what we worry about every day in, day out is that key people 
in your organization get hurt, either get COVID or something like that. And obviously, it's, it's you know great to say, hey, this because the business is disruption, uh, it causes business disruption. But obviously, because in the many cases you've come to care and, and love for these people, uh, when you're in a journey from one to ten, you often are working with a number of these people. You know, their par uh, their partners in life, their children, and so you you and in today's situation, when we hear somebody is sick or caught COVID. It, it just worries you for what lies ahead on the journey. So that's one. I think where I see organizations struggle with, and particularly CEOs and founders, is that they move from a, uh, from a situation called founder sales mode. Founder sales mode is where the founder is so capable of selling because they primarily control, they have a good insight on what the problem is they're trying to solve. Like Godard and I are both founders. We know which problem we're solving. We know why we did this. We can create stories on the fly. We don't have to practice that. We have dozens and dozens of stories. We also know very well what the solution is because we build it. We sat in the meetings, we designed it. So founders know the problem and the solution very well. So when they sit in front of a prospective buyer, for them and for him or her, it's very easy to sell based on that. What the challenge is that when you bring on a salesperson, they don't have that five or 10 year of, of resident memory in your mind that you can pull from. What we do not do as founders and CEOs and what founders and CEOs do not do enough is teach those stories and take those first generation salespeople, take them through the experience, let them demonstrate the product, teach them if it's a product or a service, get them to be passionate about that. Because that in those first generations of sales professionals, as Godard pointed out, passion is super important. And they cannot, you cannot assume as a founder, they just will pick that up on their own. They won't. You really have to spend as much time educating them, if not more, as you would do a customer. That's great. Some insights then. Obviously, looking to looking forward to developing that further and hearing more about that um, at the Blueprint event itself on, on December the fifteenth. Um, we mentioned external challenges, and obviously um, there are external challenges, internal challenges. Um, you, you know, ones that often uh, you know founders, you know, first time founders face uh, every day, every week. You know, people, processes, accountability. You know, what are what are some of the things you do to overcome these internal challenges? And I do think as a founder, CEO, and I remember, especially when I was building my first company, I was so overwhelmed by anxiety. And I remember my company, Big Machines, felt like a storm cloud in my forehead. And then luckily around, I remember this around 2008, but I met a conscious leadership coach, but this coach started having me breathe and meditate. And I remember the first time I did it, I was like, wow, I feel, all of a sudden I felt really tired. The storm cloud was gone. But I remember I said to my coach, I'm like, how am I ever going to do any work? I feel like so calm, but I just feel like I don't want to move. And he also said, wow, that's very normal. You know, when you kind of come out of anxiety and the presence at first, you'll kind of just feel relaxed, but not want to do anything. But then I think what I've been working on ever since is being conscious, being a conscious leader as I do my work, and then really allowing that to energize me and to get through anxiety. And I think especially in a year like 2020, that's so critical. You know, earlier this year, I remember I thought the world was ending. My investors were telling me, hey, you have to reduce burn. And and I think the only way to overcome that fear and anxiety and be able to lead forward, you know, what I have learned is to be conscious, to take care of yourself. And then you can be in a great position to lead, you know, even in times of challenge. Uh, what about yourself, Jacko? My gosh, this topic alone? Okay. I can tell you a few challenges and I'll, I'll, how to tackle them, okay? Number one, my partner in life is 33 years uh, uh, with me. We're married uh, uh, for a lion's share of that. 
people do not understand the beating relationships are being taken because essentially when you're taking on this role of founder and CEO, every email doesn't matter when or where gets prioritized over in my case, my, her, her you know, priorities. That's a problem. Number two, things that I struggle with every day is how to manage diversity inside my company. I want to, and I hear all other founders, we want to, but we, it's so hard to create talent, to find talent. And so the decision we need to make there is, do you create talent from a diverse background or do you continue to struggle? Or the third one is, do you not obey to, to diversity? The third one, one it, what I really struggle with is if a customer ends up not being happy. I feel like, like, like anxiety, like, oh my God, getting a complaint email from a customer is like the most devastating email I can get. I literally need to sit down like, oh my gosh, and then obviously uh, figure out later on how to solve it. All these things, there's a few ways of how I found myself and also have learned that other you know, CEOs are doing this. Number one, I block half my day only for meetings. And in this case, anytime beyond either 12 or two in the afternoon, there are no meetings. I can do whatever I want. That means that I got to be more focused on what I do with my morning time. So that's the way, similar to what Goddard said, is how he has to manage. I need that calmness. And for me, I realize personally, I need a run. So I'm putting in a run. I see that other CEOs doing a very similar thing. You can't book your day full. You can't. It's just your time and energy is needed elsewhere. Number two, whenever I'm stressed about business, I cannot tell you how I see that CEOs and founders are vigorated by talking to their customers, just listening to customers, talking to the customers, even the customers that you think may hate you. When you pick up and you talk to them, they actually say like, oh, it wasn't that bad, but you should have done this. And you get even energized by that. Okay. And the third part, the personal relationships, I still struggle with this. I have to tell you, it is really hard to maintain it because, you know, there's so much energy that is taken on this business. It ain't an, a nine to five job for sure, folks. For those of you experiencing this, this is seven days a week and it's like any time but when I sleep and most of the times I'm not sleeping because I'm working because I'm enjoying it so much. Like I would argue that, you know, like that being a founder is almost as bad as having an affair. You're just having an affair with, with your own company because you're, it's the same amount of drain of energy. Anyway, a lot of challenges there. I haven't certainly figured all of them out. I do think like Godard uh, pointed out, it's really good to get external help on this as soon as you can afford it because it is a priority. Nodding along to, to everything that, that, that you said, and I think everybody that will be watching this and, li and listening uh, you know, as a CEO, uh, as, as a founder can relate to all, all of these things, right? It, it is, uh, it's a very difficult job. It's one that it's very difficult to switch off from. Uh, but what we want to, to show them with Blueprint is that maybe that they can be less worried that there is a way, that there is a Blueprint for them uh, and to have, you, you know, that's why you, yourself, Jacko and God are, are on board because you, you, you've seen it, you've done it. And, you know, we want to get you to, uh, to share this sort of experience, you, you know, with, with, these, uh, with this group of, uh, of CEOs. So what, what are your thoughts uh, then, I think, uh, Jacko and then, and then Goddard, just on on the blueprint and a little bit about uh, how you each kind of see that and, and how it can help CEOs. Now, first and foremost, you know, a thing that we see CEOs and founders experience, as your company grows up and you get more people, you get to less partake in the fun and more become the center where everybody drops their issues. 
So people don't have a tendency to come to you and start sharing you know, great news. They have a tendency to come to you when there's a big problem. And as the company grows, more people come to you with problems. When there are technical problems that you can solve them, AKA jumpstart the car, double thumbs up. But when there are people squibbling with each other, that actually takes quite a drain on a lot of, of you know, like CEOs and founders, because in many cases, that's not why they started the company. They are often from a product perspective and not dealing with in every normal day in, day out interaction, you're going to have people issues. And that's not why they started that company for. And that's quite normal. Therefore, you need the best practices of how others have dealt with it. Why would you go over and reinvent the entire wheel? And that's, I think, where the term blueprints come in. There are certain problems that founders and CEOs are very well suited and to solve. And that's dependent on their particular mindset. Some people are very social. Some people are very technical. Some people are very operational. But all the other things also need to be solved. And that's where you need to learn from people who've done it before, like Godard, when he simply says, you need to make time, you need to get a mental coach. Many people will be like, really, at what point in time? Well, if you're starting to get around two to $3 million in revenue, that's the time that you need to start thinking about it. Because by the time you had a flame out with employees, your relationship at home is, is, is heading for a divorce. It's too late, okay? So these are where blueprints need to point to show us some of the best practices of what has happened before to give us a, you know, like a realm to think in. Yeah, no, I think um, the blueprint, I think both the intellectual content, you know, learning lessons learned. And I think like Jocko does a great job, especially in sales, you know, codifying that. I've also written down, hey, what are the things I've learned building four companies and look forward to sharing more of those. So I think you get the intellectual, but equally important in your community, the blueprint community, the SaaS community, you can also find peers. You know, at the beginning, you may not be able to afford a true coach. And I still love doing that today. It's my favorite thing about G2. I get to talk to, you know, hundreds of founders, certainly every year, fellow SaaS entrepreneurs. And they always feel like my brethren. You know, we've gone, I think in some ways I say starting companies like being a parent, you know, until you've done it, you really can't relate. And I think being a founder is the same way. And I do think that's a wonderful thing about Blueprint. Not only can you get the advice and the best practices, but you can also find some peers with whom you can commiserate, compare notes, share tips and tricks. And I always find that the most valuable part of these kinds of Blueprint conferences. Amazing. Well, well, well Goddard uh, and Jacko, thank you for your time today. We're really looking forward to uh, December the 15th for the Blueprint CEO event uh, live. And uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to learning and listening to the Blueprint uh, from both of you and uh, the rest of our speakers. So uh, yeah, excited for it. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for having us. And thank you, Jaco, for sharing and really look forward to the blueprint on the 15th. Well, thank you for having, uh, having me and thank you for going for, you know, like once again, seeing you um, looking forward to contribute wherever we can to this community. I would also like to ask those who are watching this, pass it forward. I believe that what, what I've learned from people like Goddard, who I had the opportunity to meet early on has, and have a dinner uh, with him sitting across from me. What I thoroughly enjoyed from a person like Godard is that he was giving very transparent and honest feedback. That feedback, when he sat across the table from me, I don't know if you recall it, Godard, was not intended anything other than help me become more successful. It was a pure, honest intent. This is what we need to do as founders and CEOs to help each other. 
intent with the with the assumption that we're providing your know, feedback to help the other person get better not oh i told you so or you can do better and i think that if your goal with the blueprints is takes that into account i think we are are at the start of a wonderful community altogether thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the sas revolution show i hope you enjoyed it and if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world.